Hello everyone, how you doing? Hope all is well. This is Perry Rizopoulos. Welcome back to another episode of Shot of Philosophy. And today we're going to talk about love because I went to a wedding and I'm inspired. And the priest at the wedding made some really great remarks that are profoundly philosophical. And I want to start with that. So he was talking about an elderly couple that went to church every day that he spoke to. And, you know, as you know, as a priest, of course, he offers advice to newly married couples and gathering some information on that is important. So he spoke to this couple like, you know, what makes your marriage so long lasting? What makes it so loving? I guess he could tell by how they interacted with each other at church that they had, you know, what would seem to be a healthy, happy marriage. And they said, really, we focused on doing everything together. When one of us had a problem, we both had it. Even when we were fighting each other, we kept it in mind that we were fighting together. And I think that's a really powerful idea that can apply to not only romantic relationships, but to all relationships. I may have mentioned this already, but my Aunt Marie, who I like a lot, commented you know, on growing up in her neighborhood and her community with her family. And she said that whenever you had a problem, you didn't have it alone, right? So it was the idea that you never even really had a problem because it wasn't just you. And I think that's really powerful. And I think we can offer ourselves comfort by being parts or being a member of a community, right? A loving community, being a member of a loving relationship, offering love to others and receiving and asking for support when they offer it to us. And I also think we could potentially, if we're people of faith, feel like we're never alone as a result of a relationship that we have with a higher power that helps us and guides us, right? So I think there's a lot to be said for what that priest offered. Uh, you know, in terms of the advice to this newly married couple, even when you don't like each other, love each other, right? And a part of that love, I think, is keeping in mind always that there's love there and also that we're committed. And when I was reflecting, you know, on the broader purpose, let's say, of a marriage, when I was in the church, I was observing, I was with family members, loved ones. And I was like, you know, this is like really important. We're all sitting here watching this happen. And our presence is a part of this process, right? It's not just like the reception after, which was fun and important and, you know, in its own way. But the idea that we're coming together and these people are saying, I do in front of us and they invited us to be here is really meaningful, right? There's something that has to be important about that, right? I think to lead a good life, we talk a lot in this podcast about the mind, the soul, right? We talk a little bit, we had a kettlebell episode about the body, right? So mind, body, soul all kind of come up, right? We've talked a little bit about, I think, community and a little bit about craft as well, right? You want to have a craft. I think that gives life meaning. You've got to get good at something. You have to apply yourself to something. We've talked a lot about that. But we haven't talked a lot about that fourth thing, right? This idea of community. And I think for me, this was a great example of that this weekend. There's a loving community coming together to watch two people, in a sense, right, you know, commit to each other and make their own new community, right, in front of everybody, which to me is like, that's a meaningful thing, right? So I wanted to reflect on that a little bit. I've been thinking about love as a result of the wedding. And there's a great book by Thich Nhat Hanh, which I have in my apartment called How to Love. It's a great how-to book from Thich Nhat Hanh. It's a Zen Buddhist. I know I've referenced his other how-to books in the past. And this idea of like fighting together and committing and the sort of, I think, the freedom that comes from that type of profound, serious commitment. And the interesting nature of that, right? Jean-Paul Sartre would say like this idea of the free commitment, let's say to use a, a lighter where he says free condemnation, not a great word to use here. But when we really commit ourselves to things fully, there is freedom there because you're saying in the face of difficulty, I am remaining committed to this. I am free of the influences. 
right? That, that line from the vows, right? In sickness and in health. You're sick, I'm still here. You're healthy, I'm still here. We're free of the influence of that issue, right? That will not even sway me. There's a beauty there. Right? I think we could even argue that's really maybe when life becomes the most meaningful, when you're so committed that you're free of things that would stop let's say someone else, or you're free of things that would prevent you in a scenario where you're not as fully committed. That commitment, a real profound sense of freedom comes with that. And also you're, you know, for example, Sartre, and I think a wedding is a great example of this, you're freely committing to this union. Right, in the example of the couple, right? It's like you're, you're asking and you're saying yes, and we're both saying yes. Well, that's a free, it's an expression of our freedom. That's a beautiful thing, right? So freedom and commitment connect, I think, really profoundly with this as well. And it's the same thing when you know when you argue with someone you love. Again, a significant other, a sibling, a family member, a friend, that you're really committed, where the commitment comes first. Right? That's a powerful thing. And I think that's what Thich Nhat Hanh is trying to convey with a couple points here, right? So there's a couple different ideas I want to share. There are four elements of true love for him. There are two that really stand out to me that connect to what the priest offered in this, in this idea that I'm sharing today. So the first one is compassion. Compassion is the capacity to understand the suffering in oneself and in the other person. Philosophy helps with that. To understand your own suffering, you need philosophy for that. To understand someone else's suffering, you need philosophy for that. And I think the key element that's philosophical there, of course, would be dialogue. It's rude to tell someone how they feel. It's important to ask them how they feel. And the ability to deal with suffering, as he's saying here, in large part, will revolve around our ability to deal with suffering within ourselves first. He says, he goes on, this is very philosophical, right? Socrates saying, know yourself. Tignatan saying, if you understand your own suffering, you can help him to understand his suffering. So you have to know yourself first. Understanding suffering brings compassion and relief. You could transform your own suffering and help transform the suffering of the other person with the practice of mindfulness and looking deeply. I mean, this is a great piece of philosophy to share after we just talked about the philosophical practices, which on a daily basis would tell you, look deeply, think deeply, ask deeply. That's how you can understand someone else's suffering. And this really resonates with me in regards to or in connection to what the priest offered, because your suffering is my suffering now. Period. So the better I understand mine, the better I can help you understand yours, and the better we'll be together. Once again, back to in sickness and in health, right? Now, the other of the four aspects of true love that I want to share today is equanimity. He says, we can also call it, equanimity that is, inclusiveness or non-discrimination. In a deep relationship, there's no longer a boundary between you and the other person. You are her and she is you. Your suffering is her suffering. Your understanding of your own suffering helps your loved one to suffer less. Suffering and happiness are no longer individual matters. Pause for a second. That's that community thing, right? That's my Aunt Marie talking about that. That's the priest saying in, in our togetherness, if we work on ourselves, and that's a process, and we work with each other, that's a process too, right? To pursue this idea of a communal approach to happiness and suffering. There's something good there. There's fruit there. There's positivity there. And this is back to Thich Nhat Hanh. What happens to your loved one happens to you. What happens to you happens to your loved one. 
So the ultimate sense here, I think, of togetherness. And I don't think this necessarily means that you're not an individual person because he's still using those words, right? You, them, right? So we still have ourselves. That's also a struggle that some of us might have. You can, you can be an, I believe at least, or I like to believe, maybe I'm naive, that you can be an individual and still live these ideas, right? This to me is an example of really being there for people. And there are relationships where we can be there and then sometimes we have to create distance. That's healthy. So keep that in mind, please, that we can balance this out a little bit. But I love this idea, especially again, in connection to what the priest was saying. As he was saying it, I was literally thinking about this section from Thich Nhat Hanh because I've taught this dozens of times. And I think it's a beautiful thing he offers here, especially in this, in this episode for today on what he says or with what he says about compassion and equanimity. So think to yourselves for a moment, right? Think about the relationships in your life, the people you love. Do you live this? How might you live it more? Are you practicing this idea of inclusiveness? The ancient philosophers, many of them, I, I think of Seneca most prominently at the moment, were obsessed with the idea that if you don't really live this, you're not a friend, for example. He was huge on that. Seneca especially really focuses on that. I think in his letters to his students, he really in a number of cases emphasized this because he was writing to them during formative years of their lives where it's like you have to learn how to make good friends. Well, if your friends are only there when things are going well, they're not your real friends. If your friends bail on you when things are getting difficult, they're not there to help you. They're not real friends. So we have to think about, again, love in a broad sense and how we are there for others and how others are there for us. You could tell good friends, I think, in a lot of different ways. One of them is who's there to help when you're suffering. Another one, kind of opposite, opposite to that, but still very important, I think, is how do people respond when you share your successes? Because some people like to commiserate, so they'll stick around when you're suffering because they like to suffer and they want to suffer. They want to see you suffering a little bit. It makes them feel good about their suffering. But when you succeed, if they're jealous or they ignore you or they somehow make it about them, be very careful with that. And also, of course, within ourselves. Do we, only, do we only like to spend time with people when they're having a rough time, then when they're doing well, we try to bring something negative into the conversation? I loved what the priest said about this elderly couple, right? The idea that in good and in bad times, they prioritize commitment, they prioritize for Thich Nhat Hanh, equanimity, and they prioritize compassion. I think at the heart of that is something profoundly philosophical. As Thich Nhat Hanh offered, right? Knowing yourself is necessary for this. It's a little bit of a cliche, right? But the idea that you have to love yourself before you can love anybody else. I don't know. I think it's, it's, you know, those are such processes, right? Coming to love someone is such a large thing, such a powerful and important thing in my opinion. Um, and then loving yourself is a constant push and pull is a constant process. So I don't think it's like, you, I don't think you reach a certain point of self-love and all of a sudden you're like, hey, I'm ready. Like that doesn't happen, right? There's not a metric for self-love. I think what we might want to, what we should try to say there instead is we should work on loving ourselves. We should work on loving others, offering love and accepting love in healthy and truthful and just ways whenever we can. And the universe is going to do what it does. You know what I mean? If we're absurdist for a moment here, it's going to be random. There's going to be chance who we meet, who we don't meet, Right? But I think those are great aims and those are great things to try to embody. By that, I mean compassion, equanimity, self-love, offering love to others. 
right? Because I don't think we get to choose a lot. There's a great line from Dermot Kennedy, who's a musician I really like, uh, quote, in love and death, we don't decide. That's really cool. I would say maybe I'd add to that, like we don't decide only. And by only, I mean we're not the only things involved there in love and death. We play a role, but it's not entirely up to us. What happens uh, when those two things, which are arguably the two most important things about human existence. Loving is, is definitely the best thing we can do, right? To love ourselves, to love others. That's our highest calling, I think, for sure. And then dying is the one thing we all can't avoid. These are really important things. So prioritize compassion. Prioritize this idea of inclusiveness. Try to work with your own suffering. Try to be there for others when they're suffering. And the next time you argue with a friend, a family member, or a significant other, try to keep your commitment in mind first. Try to argue kindly and try to argue philosophically. Ask them questions. Try to be empathetic and ask yourself questions instead of jumping to conclusions. Hope this was helpful. Thank you for listening. And I'll talk to you soon.